You are listening to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, Episode 8, How These 20 Actors Got Their Equity Cards. Let's get started. Aesthetic Podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for joining us. The Actor Aesthetic Podcast is produced every Monday for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at actoraesthetic.com slash podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Actor Aesthetic and on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get on to the show. So I was bored one day and I decided to look around on the equity webpage because I was doing a couple of blog posts and my first couple of podcasts were on the union and how to join. And so I was sifting through the website and I found this really awesome part of the site. It's called how I got my equity card and It's no joke. Actors' Equity recorded a bunch of different stories from different actors, both well-known and fairly unknown actors who are all considered highly successful working actors. And on this page is like 200 stories from a bunch of different journeys to joining the union. I'm going to read off 20 of my favorite stories from this today, and I hope this really just emphasizes the fact that there is no one way to success in this industry. So let's go ahead and start off with one of my faves. This is Carol Burnett's story. So you guys know her from TV, film, Broadway, all of the above, and this is what she has to say on how she received her equity card. She says, I received my equity card in 1959, when I was cast by George Abbott as Princess Winifred in Once Upon a Mattress. I was 25 when rehearsals began and turned 26 when performances began. At the time, this is the best part, there were white cards for senior performers and pink cards for juniors just beginning. You had to work your way up to a white card. Since I had the starring role, they assumed I was a senior and gave me a white card. They were quite embarrassed when they had to follow up with me and give me a pink card instead. I love that. Imagine they still had white and pink cards showing who has been in the industry longer than the other. That's such a weird concept. I love that story though. Number two is Michael Cerverus. So he was in a couple of musicals, a couple of Stephen Sondheim musicals, Sweeney Todd, Assassins, Passion. In 2004, he won the Tony Award for Best Featured Actor in a Musical for Assassins as John Wilkes Booth. And then more recently, he won a second Tony Award as Best Actor in a Musical for Fun Home as Bruce Spechtel. So he says this, I spent my first year or two out of university doing the usual showcase and non-equity work in places like the old Cubiculo Theater, essentially a dank basement, and way off Broadway, i.e. 
Brooklyn, gathering knowledge and experience, but not much else. However, I had the good fortune, despite my non-union status, to be freelancing with a few provisionally supportive agents. One of them sent me to an audition for the Wilma Theater in Philadelphia, perhaps just to get me out of town so I would stop pestering them. At any rate, Jerry and Blanca Ziska saw enough raw material in me to make them believe they could mold me into something like the actor they needed to play Dorian Gray in their multimedia adaption of Joyce's story. That job meant so much to me, not just because it provided me with my equity card. That meant I finally had graduated from dank sellers, poor conditions, and low pay to... Well, let's be honest, slightly mildewy ground floor facilities, somewhat better conditions, and generally less low pay. But now, I also had the strength and support of my colleagues and peers in continually fighting to improve conditions, compensation, and opportunity for all of us. I got on the train to Philly, a college graduate slash waiter slash aspiring actor, and came home a professional actor slash waiter. Okay, so it didn't change my daily life overnight, but it did really make a personal and professional difference having achieved the rights and responsibilities of union membership in my chosen profession. To this day, that card is in my wallet giving me pride, gratitude, and a sense of validation that I am a working actor receiving and contributing to the support and betterment of my colleagues and friends. I love that story. It says a lot about Michael that it isn't just the equity card that makes the professional. What makes the professional is the work ethic, and I really appreciate that. Number three is the story of Kristen Chenoweth. Obvi, you guys know her from Broadway. In 99, she won a Tony Award for her performance of Sally Brown in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown on Broadway. And then in 2003, she received wide notice for originating the role of Glinda in the musical Wicked and earned another nomination for a Tony. She says this, I had just graduated from Oklahoma City University and was headed to the Academy of Vocal Arts in Philadelphia to become an opera singer. I decided to make a pit stop in New York. My best friend, Denny, wanted to move there to make it as an actor. I went along. I was at Actors' Equity waiting to be seen for a show at Paper Mill Playhouse because I wasn't a member of the union. I had to wait five hours to be seen. Finally, I got in for my audition and ended up getting one of the leads in a musical called Animal Crackers. I had an important life decision to make, opera or musical theater. Guess what I chose? Not only did I get my equity card through that job, I never had to wait five hours again. Ain't it the truth, Kristen? Love that because I love how fate just gave her the opportunity. And I think I can speak for all of us in saying that we're all glad that she chose the path of musical theater. 
Number four, Christine Ebersol. Christine Ebersol is a film, TV, and stage actress. She won two Tony Awards, one for appearing on Broadway in the musical 42nd Street, and the other for appearing on and off Broadway in the musical Grey Gardens. She also co-starred on the sitcom Sullivan and Son and earned an Emmy nomination for her work on One Life to Live. This is what she had to say. I was waiting tables at the Lion's Rock on 77th between 1st and 2nd. The year was 1976. It was a cold January night after my shift when I got a call from my agent. When I answered the phone, she said, Darling, you're on Broadway. The previous September, I auditioned for Shepard Traub for a revival he was producing of Angel Street. The movie is called Gaslight. Christine Andreas had already been cast to play the part of Nancy, the Cockney maid, but he was looking for people for possible future replacements. The night I got the call, Christine had given her notice because she was going on to play Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady opposite Rex Harrison. It hadn't even been a year since I graduated from the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And I had no professional theatrical experience. Traub graciously bought my equity card for me because my only prior theatrical experience was waiting tables. All in all, it was a humbling experience because the show closed in three weeks and I was back at the Lion's Rock begging for reinstatement. But then she went on to win two Tony Awards, so she's doing just fine. Don't worry. Number five is Raul Esparza. He's probably best known for his role as Rafael Barba in Law and Order SVU. He had a recurring role in that in season 14 and then was promoted to a season regular in season 15 to 19. So he was in that for a while. He also received Tony nominations for the role of Philip Salon in the Boy George musical Taboo in 2004 and Robert in the musical comedy Company in 2006. And he also played Riff Raff on Broadway in the revival of the Rocky Horror Show and the lead in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. This is his story. I had been working in Chicago for a year at equity theaters under non-equity contracts. Sometimes the roles were small, sometimes they were extraordinary. The kicker came when Frank Galati, the great and generous artist, offered me a beautiful role at the Goodman Theater in his adaptation of Cry, The Beloved Country. The role was not large, but it was important, and Frank inspired the very best in me. It began to bother me that I am working harder than many company members and earning far, far less because I was not equity. As that show ends, I am offered a principal role in Zorba by a theater in Highland Park. A major role, not the star, not the lead, but one of the six major roles in the musical. Five of those roles were equity contracts. I was offered $50 a week on a non-equity contract. It didn't even cover gas money from downtown to Chicago to the suburbs, not to mention groceries or rent. I had enough weeks under the Equity Membership Candidacy Program, so I asked the theater to offer me an equity contract. They say no. They asked Why would you want to join Equity? 
I said, so I never have to argue over $50 again. They said, you're new in town. If you join equity, you won't work in Chicago very much. Think about it. I said, I'll take my chances. A few months later, the good men offered me another role in its lovely annual production of A Christmas Carol. Here we go again. I said, I want to join equity. They said, congratulations and welcome aboard. I took my chances, and all these years later, from the Goodman to Steppenwolf to Broadway, I'm glad I'll never have to argue about gas money all by myself again. I'll always have equity behind me to ensure that I am treated with respect and dignity and never threatened for asking what I am fundamentally worth. Isn't that a good one? I like that one because it emphasizes how important actors' equity is for us as actors in negotiating our contracts and our wages. They step in when sometimes we feel we are overstepping our boundaries by talking directly to producers and to directors. They're doing the job for us, and it makes everyone's lives so much easier. Number six is that of Harvey Firestein. Harvey Firestein, American actor, playwright, voice actor. He won the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Play for his own play, Torch Song Trilogy, and the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical for playing Edna Turnblad in Hairspray. He also wrote the book for the musical Lacage for which he won the Tony Award for Best Book of a Musical and wrote the book for the Tony Award-winning Kinky Boots. So this guy's been around. Harvey says this. It was 1975, and I'd been a fixture on the off- off-Broadway theater scene for years when director Neil Flanagan offered me the lead roles to be performed in Rotating Rep out on Cape Cod. They were the classic OOB plays, The Madness of Lady Bright by Lanford Wilson and Robert Patrick's The Haunted Host. But it was an equity contract, and that worried me. My first love was experimental theater, and once unionized, I'd be unable to work in the shows I loved. Still, there were rules I could really sink my teeth into— The money was fantastic, and I could escape Brooklyn for the summer. The offer was too good to turn down, so I joined the union. We played the summer in Provincetown, and even transferred the haunted host to Boston's Charles Playhouse. Coming home to NYC, I had surprisingly little trouble adjusting to equity-approved experimental theater. Go figure. Number seven is Anne Harada. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. She's an American actress who's probably best known for the musical Avenue Q, in which she originated the role of Christmas Eve, the heavily accented Japanese therapist. Anne says, In the fall of 1987, I had just returned from doing non-equity summer stock in Glassboro, New Jersey, and was feeling very confident. I don't know why exactly, as my best reviews all summer came from playing Nana the dog and the crocodile in Peter Pan. A friend of mine from college, Karen Sonnet, was working as a casting intern at the Manhattan Theater Club and got me into an audition for the first workshop of Maury Yeston and Larry Galbart's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 
She's never admitted it, but I think that's how it happened. I was hired to be in the ensemble and play the extremely tiny role of Jonathan Hattery and Mary Gordon Murray's daughter. I was thrilled to be in the rehearsal room with such pros, including Liz Calloway, Alice Platon, Louis J. Stadlin, Davis Gaines, Vicki Lewis, and the late Beatrice Wind. I believe it was Jerry Mitchell's first job as a choreographer. I was incredibly naive, and the entire company was very kind to me. I couldn't believe they would even let me eat lunch with them. I remember going to the Actors' Equity Association office to pay my dues. The cost of joining was two weeks' worth of MTC pay, but I knew the equity card meant I was a real actor at last. I love Anne's story because it highlights the importance of being kind to everyone and maintaining relationships because you never know when someone is going to be able to open the door for you to the next step in your career. And in this case, it was just a friend from college. This one is interesting, number eight, because you know him as the composer for the hit Broadway musicals Hello, Dolly, Mame, and Lacage. But this is actually Jerry Herman's story. He says... When I was asked to tour with an evening of my work in which I would play the piano, sing, and tell the audience anecdotes about my career as a composer slash lyricist, I got my equity card. It was an enlightening experience after decades of being a creator and standing in the back of theaters to find myself in the spotlight. And it made me appreciate how protected and cared for a performer feels with equity watching over him. That's an interesting observation coming from the opposite side of the theater industry, coming from the creator and how much respect they have towards the union and towards the actors that are protected by the union. Number nine is the story of Allison Janney. Allison Janney is a very versatile actress. She has an Academy Award Seven Primetime Emmy Awards, a BAFTA Award, a Golden Globe Award, seven SAG Awards, six Critic Choice Awards, two Drama Desk Awards, and an Independent Spirit Award. I promise I'm not obsessed with her, and I don't know all of this off the top of my head. I'm reading this, but how cool is that? Okay, so this is Allison's story. I was sitting on the floor of my New York City apartment about to quit acting again when the phone rang. Jim Simpson was calling to offer me a part in his production of Howard Fast's Citizen Tom Paine. We opened in Philadelphia and then went to Washington, D.C. to the Kennedy Center. Richard Thomas played Tom Paine. It was fantastic, and it got me my equity card. A lot of these stories you'll notice that Many of these actors did not receive their equity card from a Broadway production. They really worked their way up. So most of these actors are getting their equity cards from regional theater contracts and national tours. Number 10 is Angela Lansbury. She says, when I first came to New York City from England in 1940, I was 15. 
With the help of the American Theater Wing, I got a scholarship to attend the now-closed Fegan School of Dramatic Art. I graduated in 1942 and did the round of the New York agents. But as luck would have, I got my first chance as an actress in motion pictures. I had to wait until 1957 when I auditioned for Peter Glanville for a role in Hotel Paradiso with Bill Lahr to get my equity card. My dream was realized. I was on Broadway at last. Number 11 on my list is Aaron Laser. So if you guys don't know who he is, Aaron has starred on Broadway 10 times since his debut in Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera. He was in Sting's The Last Ship. He was in the first and only revival of Sondheim's A Little Night Music on Broadway. He was in the world premiere of The Light in the Piazza at Lincoln Center. And also the first revival of Les Mis and the premiere of A Tale of Two Cities. This dude works a ton. So this is what he says. It was summertime, and I was headed to work at the Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera, PCLO. I had just finished my first year of graduate school at the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, CCM, and I was looking forward to putting my musical theater training to use on stage in a production of Bye Bye Birdie. We opened in Cleveland, actually, and it was there that I first met Barrett Foa, my roommate that summer, and a bunch of young actor friends who have all gone on to great success, one being Celia Keenan-Polger. We had a blast in Cleveland and later in Pittsburgh, where, following the run of Birdie, I played other featured roles in the ensemble of PCLO's productions of West Side Story and Grand Hotel. Grand Hotel was a touring production starring Edmund Lindeck, he originated the role of Judge Turpin in Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd was the first musical I ever saw that got me hooked on dreaming of a career in the theater back in high school. So, to know I'd be sharing the stage with Ed was an incredible thrill. I also remember the thrill of getting my first paycheck and thinking, I can't believe I'm getting paid to have so much fun. My employment at PCLO earned me my equity card, and I quickly joined the union at the start of my second and final year at school. That's an awesome story. I love the full circle stories. So, long story short, I did a production of Peter Pan at Connecticut Repertory Theater, and it starred Riley Costello, who is now a good friend of mine who I saw on Broadway a couple times before even meeting him, and... Terrence Mann, who, if you guys know him, he originated the role of the Beast in Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. Obviously, he originated the role of Javert in Les Mis, and he's been in a bunch of other stuff. And I actually saw him in Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast was the first show I saw on Broadway. So full circle, man. I ended up that summer in a production of Les Mis, directed by Terrence Mann, and then I starred opposite him. <laughs> in Peter Pan. That was pretty awesome. I love full circle stories like that. And notice how he said, I can't believe I'm getting paid to have so much fun. Yeah, that's what it feels like. When you really love your job, it does not feel like a job. I think that's what's so awesome about theater. If you really love to do this, it's never going to feel like work. Number 12, 
Beth Level. My gosh, she's been in so many things. It's insane. Let me read this list. 42nd Street, Crazy for You, Showboat, The Civil War, 42nd Street again in 2001, The Drowsy Chaperone, Young Frankenstein, Mamma Mia, Elf, Baby It's You, Bandstand, and right now, The Prom. That is nuts. Okay, so y'all know who Beth Level is, but this is her story. I had just completed my MFA program from UNC Greensboro and was trying to find the courage to move to New York City. I auditioned and was accepted for an internship with the now-closed Pennsylvania Stage Company in Allentown, Pennsylvania. For seven months, I answered phones, painted scenery, and was third sword carrier from the left. But at the end of the season, I was a proud member of Actors' Equity. I packed my bags and I moved to New York City in 1981. That story right there speaks for itself. Number 13 is the story of Rebecca Luker. So Rebecca Luker has been nominated for three Tony Awards and two Drama Desk Awards. On Broadway, she played Christine in Phantom of the Opera in the 80s. She was also Lily in The Secret Garden from 91 to 93, Magnolia in Showboat. She was actually the first actress to be nominated for a Tony Award for this role. Maria in The Sound of Music, Marion in The Music Man, and Claudia in Nine. She was also on Broadway as Mrs. Banks and Mary Poppins from 2006 to 2010. She played Crazy Marie slash the Fairy Godmother in the Broadway production of Cinderella. And she also joined the cast of Fun Home at Circle in the Square Theater for a brief period of time. This is what Rebecca has to say. I got my equity card in 1985, the year I moved to New York from Alabama. I played Jane in Leave it to Jane at the Goodspeed Opera House. Jane was actually my second summer stock job that year. The first role I played was Marion in the now-closed American Musical Theater production of The Music Man in New London, Connecticut. The company there was allowed to hire a couple of non-equity leads, and I was one of them. Let's just say that I am glad Goodspeed Opera didn't do the same. As writing this, that was 19 years ago, and I've loved being an equity member every bit of those 19 years. Number 14 is Andrea Martin. She won the Tony Award for both My Favorite Year and the 2013 revival of Pippin. She was also on Broadway in Candide, Oklahoma, Fiddler on the Roof, and Young Frankenstein. Andrea Martin says this, I received a BS in speech theater from Emerson College in June 1969. I took a bus from Boston to New York, bought a newspaper called Backstage, and saw that Your Good Man Charlie Brown was holding open call auditions that afternoon for the first national tour. I still had my bags as I waited in a hallway in a building somewhere on 8th Avenue and 50th Street, along with 50 other girls, all under 5'3". I sang... Mata Hari, I don't know what this is, from Little Mary Sunshine and was asked to return the next day. I did. 
I got the part of Lucy. I got my equity card. I toured the United States for six months. I'm still waiting for another audition to go that well. (laughs) Oh, I love that one. Number 15 is the story of Brian Stokes Mitchell. He is probably one of the most powerful baritones on Broadway. He won the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical in 2000 for his performance in Kiss Me Kate. He was also on Broadway in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, Men of La Mancha, for which he was nominated for a Tony Award, and also Ragtime, which he was also nominated for a Tony Award. He says this, During high school in San Diego, I had been working semi-professionally in a number of different theaters around town. In my senior year, I played the part of Lamar in Godspell at the Old Globe Theater. Shortly after graduating, the actor who played Jesus in Godspell called me to tell me that he was going to be the resident director for the San Diego branch of the Twelfth Night Repertory Company, a multicultural improvisation performance group that had also had companies in Los Angeles and San Francisco. He wanted to know if I would be interested in auditioning for them. He told me that at first it was going to be a non-equity gig, but if all went well after a few months, I would be able to finally get my equity card and transfer to the Los Angeles company. It was a no-brainer decision for me, and sure enough, in a short time, I was on my way to beginning my acting career in Los Angeles with my equity card in hand. What do we learn from that story, you guys? Say yes to everything, especially when you're first starting out. Number 16 is Leslie Uggams. For my youngins who don't know who she is, she was in the television miniseries Roots in the 70s and earned Golden Globe and Emmy Award nominations for her performances. But here's her story about how she got into stage acting. In the 60s, I did a lot of television, and I was quite well-known from Sing Along with Mitch on CBS. I got a call to audition for a new Broadway musical called Hallelujah Baby, which was written by Arthur Lawrence, Jules Stein, Betty Comden, and Adolph Green. I had just done The Boyfriend in Berkeley, California, and they had heard about it. So they all came to see me at the Club Harlem in Atlantic City, where I was doing my club act. When I got back to New York, I read for them. David Merrick was going to produce the show, but he fell asleep during my audition, so I guess I didn't impress him. Anyway, next thing I knew, Merrick was out. We had new producers, and I got the part and my equity card in my first Broadway musical. I was thrilled. We opened at the Martin Beck, which is now the Al Hirschfeld Theater, in April 1967, and I was thrilled to receive my first Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical. During my acceptance speech, I was so excited that I exclaimed, I don't know where my feet are tonight. Groucho Marx who was emceeing, had the best comeback. Want me to look? (laughs) Love it. 17 is the story of Alice Ripley, who eventually went on 
to win a Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical in Next Normal, and she was also in Sideshow and American Psycho on Broadway. She says this, In the late 80s, I had a newly earned BFA in musical theater and was living in San Diego, California, looking for work as an actor. The artistic director of the La Jolla Playhouse cast me in a show he had penned himself, a musical called Silent Edward. The production was on a theater for young audiences contract, and that fortunate circumstance enabled me to join Actors' Equity. A TYA contract in 1988 meant waking up at 5 a.m., to meet the company van at 6.30 a.m. in order to arrive at an elementary school by 7.15 a.m. so that we could carry the set from the van to the school's cafeteria and, doubling as ASMs, assemble the playing area as the kids started lining up in the hall. That TYA contract was the first time I received a paycheck as a professional, and it was thrilling. $2.50 a week. That's before taxes. I woke up at 5 a.m. bounding towards my destiny. I had finally jumped through the Catch-22 window of joining the union that we all know and respect. After I moved to New York City a few years later, Des, who was the then artistic director of the La Jolla Playhouse at the time, would cast me in my first Broadway show. The Who's Tommy. But before we came to Broadway, Tommy was going to open out of town at the La Jolla Playhouse. Welcome to the life of an actor. Number 18 is about Nick Wyman. So Nick Wyman used to be the former president of Actors' Equity Association. I had the privilege of doing a reading with him back a couple of years ago when I was a teenager in New York. He has been on Broadway so many times, it's hard to count. He was in A Tale of Two Cities, Les Mis, Phantom of the Opera, My Fair Lady on the 20th Century, Grease, Catch Me If You Can, the list continues. So this is what Nick has to say. It is the fall of 1974. I have graduated from college. I have graduated from acting school. I am a professional actor. Or I would be a professional actor if I ever had gotten a union job. I get up early on Thursday mornings to read backstage. I join the other cattle at the non-union calls. As I prepare to moo my 32 bars at a call for the musical Grease, the accompanist derails the proceedings. Standing at the piano in the pit of the Royale Theater, now the Bernard B. Jacobs Theater, She announces to whatever poor schlub from Jerry Windsor and Associates drew the short straw and has been forced to endure this open call. I saw this fellow play Paul in Carnival this summer. He was terrific. Down go the sandwiches. The auditors turn their newly deglazed eyes to the stage. From a dark-haired, bespectable fellow in the royal seats comes a question. Didn't I see you in Jones and Schmidt's Philemon this spring? This is unbelievable. Only a couple hundred people total saw that workshop. God bless this theater devotee. My spirits soar as I confirm this rhetorical question. I am not merely number 278. I'm a New York actor with credits. Perhaps because of this support, I do sufficiently well at the audition to be offered a job. 
my first union job, by the choreographer Pat Birch and the fellow in the glasses, a casting associate at Jerry Windsor named Vinnie Liff. I am to understudy Danny Zuko in a bus and truck tour of Greece, and I have that precious imprimatur of professionalism, my equity card. Number 19 is the story of Danny Burstein. He's an American actor of stage and screen. He made his Broadway debut in 92. He is a six-time, six-time Tony Award nominee for The Drowsy Chaperone, South Pacific, Follies, Golden Boy, Cabaret, and Fiddler on the Roof. He has also won two Drama Desk Awards, three Outer Critics Circle Awards, and received two Grammy Award nominations. His other Broadway credits include The Seagull, St. Joan, and Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. He says this, I grew up in New York City and dreamt of making a living as an actor for as long as I can remember. When I was 14 years old, I was lucky enough to have been accepted into the famed High School of Performing Arts to study acting. It was there that I learned what it actually took to be a professional actor. Oh, how I longed to be one. During my high school years, I did lots of community theater and even did non-union summer stock in Keene, New Hampshire, where I made, and this is the truth, $200 for the entire summer. We figured it out. We were making about Eight cents an hour, but it was all valuable groundwork and for me solidified the fact that if I was willing to do all of that, I was in it for the long haul. I signed my first equity contract, a bright pink chorus contract, in 1984 when I was 19. I was going to Queens College and my musical theater professor was the brilliant Edward M. Greenberg. Ed became my mentor and a great friend. He was the executive director of the Muni in St. Louis and offered me a contract to spend the entire summer of 1984 performing in three shows, The Music Man, Funny Girl, and the premiere of a new version of Sleeping Beauty. It was at the Muni that I first got a taste of the benefits Equity had to offer me. I felt protected respected, and was happy to be well compensated for all my hard work. I remember distinctly thinking it would be so nice to start saving for my pension at such a young age. I'm not so young anymore, and I'm quite grateful I got such an early start. I learned so much from that summer and made many great friends, friendships that continue to this day. I went back to the Muni for several summers after and eventually grew into character roles. One of those later summers, I worked with Tony Randall, who eventually offered me my first Broadway contract. We'd had a great time working together, and one day he mentioned his National Actors Theatre Company to me. I said, well, if you ever get it up and running, give me a call. He said, I'll do that. Cut to a few years later, he calls me, out of the blue, with a job offer to be a company member in his new Broadway troupe. The Muni was a magical place for me, a home away from home. I owe Ed Greenberg a huge debt of gratitude for taking a chance on a gawky, teenage theater nerd who was so terribly green. He gave me the confidence to fly. Thank you, Ed, wherever you are. 
I miss you. And thank you, Equity, for looking out for me and always ensuring I will be properly taken care of. I am so honored to be a part of such a great union. I love that. That was beautifully said. I thought it would be fitting to end with my story. So number 20 is the little story of how Maggie Barra got her equity card. No, I don't have any Broadway credits yet, but I do consider myself a working actor out there pounding the pavement, and this is my story. So I went to Texas State University and graduated with my BFA in musical theater in 2017. Within months of graduating college, I had a decent resume of professional and educational theater credits. I worked regionally at Theater Under the Stars in Houston, Connecticut Repertory Theater, the Count Basie Theater in New Jersey. I performed in an off-Broadway production in New York City from its earliest stages. I played leads at Texas State University, including Marcy Park in Spelling Bee, Serena in Legally Blonde, and Lucy in The World According to Snoopy, the world premiere. I hustled, but I didn't have my equity card yet. Reminder, I joined the Equity Membership Candidate Program in 2015 when I performed at Connecticut Rep. I went to every professional audition in New York City, New Jersey, and Philadelphia. I trekked to open calls, equity principal auditions, equity chorus calls. I submitted my headshot and resume to various casting directors. I signed up for an account on Backstage and Actors Access. I thumbed through the job boards on Playbill and Broadway World every single day. I made it my mission to hit the ground running full force. It was late in the audition season and I was getting exhausted, probably around September, going to EPAs and ECCs and waiting all day in crowded holding rooms only not to get seen was a bummer. It was a tough life for a non-equity actor. It was starting to take a toll on me physically and emotionally. Though I was losing steam, I decided to push myself and attend an open call for a production at the Fireside Theater. Open calls are notorious for being frequently unorganized free-for-alls. Because they do not need to follow any equity rules, open calls are at the discretion of the theater and its producers. Every call is different. The audition was held at the former NOLA Studios, R.I.P., in New York City and was open to all non-equity members, first come, first serve. I arrived fairly early. I signed up on the list with the monitor and I waited my turn. Little did I know that one audition would change the course of my career. I landed a role in the Ensemble of Phantom, covering Christine Daye with the Fireside Theater. The producer also offered me an equity contract, which would guarantee access to membership into the union. I signed my contract proudly in November of 2017, paid the initiation fee, and officially joined Actors' Equity Association. I am forever grateful to the Fireside Theater for giving me this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And with that, 
we conclude episode eight of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast. I really enjoyed listening to some of these stories. I hope you guys did too. If you enjoyed this, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. If you feel so inclined, give me a shout out on Instagram. I love hearing from you guys on Instagram. That's basically where I really started out with my blog, and I love seeing you guys screenshot and put on your stories that you're listening to the podcast. For further inquiries, go ahead and email me at maggie at actoraesthetic.com or shoot me a DM at actoraesthetic. It takes a village, y'all. I'll see you next week.